Welcome to church. My name is Justin, one of the pastors here, and on these third Sundays, it's my privilege to be with you. If you guys have your Bibles, open up with me to the book of Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 46 this morning. As you're turning there, I kind of realized as I sat in traffic this week that one of the most tedious and annoying things in life are those things that steal your time, like sitting in traffic. I kind of had a a busy day on Thursday and jetted out of the church to catch lunch with an old friend. And as soon as I got on the freeway, in the middle of the day on a Thursday, going south, it was like immediate traffic. And there's nothing more annoying than hitting traffic when you didn't expect it, right? If we're all driving through LA, we know there's going to be traffic. But you don't expect in the middle of the day on a Thursday to hit traffic. And so I got frustrated. I got mad. I was driving like crazy. And I think everyone else was too, because they all didn't plan for traffic either. And everyone's jumping from lane to lane. You know that old Motor Mania, Disney, goofy movie where he's just Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and it's like that's all of a sudden what we turned into in our cars, and everyone rushes to get over into the one lane that's going a little bit faster, and then you see that the car you passed five minutes ago is now passing you, and so you rush back over to the other lane, and and so I'm doing that whole dance and just rushing and, and screeching around every corner, and I finally, I pull up to the place I'm supposed to meet this guy for lunch, and you could smell my brakes, and you could, it's just that whole scene. And no sooner did I get there than I check my phone and I see he's texted me and said, hey, I'm stuck in traffic. I'm going to be 20 minutes late. And now I'm sitting there just going, oh, man, I'm a busy guy. I got things to do. There's nothing more annoying than A, being stuck in traffic, and then B, sitting there and waiting for someone else who's late, who didn't give themselves enough time. And I don't know if you've noticed that, but those types of things kind of tend to ruin your day. You know, when you go to the doctor's office and they don't think to tell you that he's running an hour and a half behind, and so they just expect you to sit there at the doctor or the dentist and wait and wait and wait. It's just, it's frustrating. Or you get in that line at the grocery store and you're like, what vitamin B12 shot do I need to give this checker here? Because they are the slowest person in the world. And you just sit there and you're going, oh, come on, like slow Wi-Fi, right? It's like we, we live in a time where we are busy people. And things that slow us down really drive us crazy. It's one of the things in life that can kind of ruin your day. I mean, one of the statistics about how busy we are found that we work more than any other time in history. Like, as a matter of fact, in the 1960s, sociologists and psychologists did a study and they, th- they said, um, projected thing as they presented this to Congress, that by the year 1985, Based on the improvements in our technology and the ease of our, the things that are there to ease our society, we should be working on average about 11 hours a week. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? By 1985, imagine it by now, 2024. But they actually found that now in 2024, compared to the 1960s, we work on average four weeks more per year than they did. That's a lot. That's a lot of time that came from almost out of nowhere that we've added to our schedules. But on top of that, they found that when they look at busy people, uh, one out of every four people that work feels like they don't have enough time to make an appointment with a doctor that they need to make in their life. It's one out of four people. That's a lot of people. Uh, They they did another study and they found, sorry, I just read a book with a lot of these studies in it this week. Uh, Another study found that we sleep on average, compared to a century ago, two and a half hours less per night than people did. Just a century ago. And this is the saddest statistic of all. That 30% of all people do not use the vacation days that they've accrued over the year. 30% of people, that's three out of ten people, don't use their vacation days at all. 
And of the 70% of people who do take vacation, 45% of those people are still working while on vacation, checking emails, getting back to something, working on a project. It's like, we are busy people, wherever you're at in life, we are busy people who have a lot of things going on. Then you compound that with what I call the noise of life. The noise of life are things like the fact that on average, we touch, if you have an iPhone, you touch your iPhone about 2,600 times per day. Double that if you're a millennial. That's crazy. That is a lot of times to be touching your phone throughout the day. And, you know, as you're touching your phone, also with that comes all the noise. We thought life was going to get quieter and easier because of that, but now you've got the news updates, and you've got the stock alerts, and you've got the the wars going on, and you've got the messages that people are sending you, and you've got the emails, and the spam emails, and the spam messages, and going down the list, it's like our lives are lived in this constant noise and busyness. So no wonder things like getting in the slow line at the store drive us crazy, getting stuck in traffic sitting behind people in, in you know, rainy weather when they drive like they've never driven before. And you're like, come on, man, haven't you driven before? No, you know, we can go fast. And it's like, we live at a high pace, high fa- or a fast-paced, um, high-intensity style of living. It's the way we do life. And this morning, I bring that up because I want to ask you a question. I know it's a question I want you to kind of wrestle with and just keep in the forefront of your mind. Just kind of think through as we get into this scripture, this verse for life this morning. And the question is this, what would happen with all of those responsibilities, all of those important things that we have to do, all of the adult things we need to to, to take responsibility for in our lives, what would happen if you just said, no, I'm going to stop? Maybe for five minutes, maybe for an hour, maybe for an entire day or an entire week. What would happen in your life? Now, immediately you think, I don't know, Justin, I've got some things that I can't stop. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm, a, I'm responsible for this group of people. I'm re-. Across the board with everything, what would happen if you found some time to say, I'm going to stop? I'm going to hit pause in my life. Would the world fall apart? Would everything disappear? Would God be disappointed with you? Well, I want you to take that thought and that idea, and and we're going to look at a psalm, or actually verse 10 of Psalm 46 this morning, that that I think is going to speak to that in a way that's going to change some of our perspectives. When we come to that question, we go, I don't know, that's a bit irresponsible. It's a bit crazy. It's a bit reckless. I think God has a different perspective. And so Psalm 46, the, the, the psalms are amazing it's an amazing piece of literature in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, and they were collected as, as poetry, as songs that were written and expressed by people in their relationship with God. In the Psalms, you have emotion expressed. In the Psalms, you have worship expressed. In the Psalms, you have people coming to grand understanding about what God is and what he's like, and then at the same time, who we are as people and what, what is going on in our lives and what it's like to be us. And, and in Psalm 46, you have a pretty beautiful representation of what the Psalms are. It's this poetic psalm. It was written by the sons of Korah. They've got some of the, some of the greater psalms in the, in the scriptures. And the, the sons of Korah wrote this psalm as what we call a psalm of confidence. It was meant to instill this kind of confidence as you look at God and you look at the world around you. And they start the psalm, before we even get into verse 10, and they start the psalm by talking about how God 
is our refuge in the midst of kind of the chaos of nature. And I would encourage you, if you've never read this psalm before, go through it on your own and and take some time this week and slow down and read it because it's so amazing, the confidence it gives you. And he talks about the fact that though the mountains be removed and the seas roar, God is still there. And then the second part of the psalm as he gets into this, and it's interrupted by these three, you know, stances where he says, Selah. Selah, as you come to that in the Psalms, is to stop and to reflect. It was like an actual activity that they were to do in the midst of reading and singing where they they paused the music and they just said, think about that. And the second part, he comes to it and he says, look, God is essentially enthroned in the midst of the nations. There's a part where he says, the nations rage and the kingdoms move, but God utters his voice and the earth melts. It's this poetic way of saying, look, when God talks, when God steps in and puts his foot down, everything else just stops. And there's a lot of noise, and there's a lot of raging, and there's a lot of war and turbulence in this world, and there are all kinds of things going around, but when God steps in and says, hey, I've got the final word here, everything just melts. This is great poetry. He comes to this point where he says, Selah, and it's like, stop and reflect on that. And then in the final third of the psalm, we get to verse 10. And in verse 10, something changes. It goes from the psalmist's perspective, as he's encouraging people, to all of a sudden God stepping in in the first person. (laughs) And you have this kind of unique change of of, of, of voice, of tone, where all of a sudden now God's going to interject his improvement, if you would, at how we view life how we view the crazy things going on around us. And in Psalm 46, verse 10, it says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I love that. And I love it not because it necessarily makes sense to me. It's something that I struggle with. It's something that I think as we all come to this, all of a sudden we go, yeah, that sounds really good. But in reality, this is, this is kind of hard. Be still. Now, naturally, you have to kind of look at this. And when you go to the Bible, you always want to look at it in what's called its context. What else is going on? And I kind of explain that to you. Uh, the psalmist is talking about Israel particularly In the midst of a world where, you know, especially back in the day when they didn't have, you know, people on the weather channel dressed in duck boots and and rubber coats telling you storm watch is coming. It's like they they looked at a lot of what was going on in the world and the storms that would hit them and the, the nature and they'd go, oh man, this is chaotic. I can't understand this. I can't predict this. It's wild. It's kind of scary. From the animals to the nature to all that kind of things, they didn't have mastery, if you would. Like, I mean, we don't even have it that much. How many times is the Steve Jobs weather app wrong on your phone? It's all the time. And, and in some sense, that's kind of how they looked at the world. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen with this weather, with these storms, with, this, uh, with, with the way the world works. And then he goes also, and all the nations around us. Now, in Israel, they've always been in a place where the nations around them have been raging. And in reality, they've never really been in this safe really secure spot. It's always been a fight to survive. It's always been a a people that's had to keep their ear to the ground and understand and know. And you see that even today with what's going on and the conflicts. It's like they've got to worry about everything and every other nation around them. And in some sense, that's how it was back in, in this time too. And what 
What God says and steps in and says to these people in the midst of that type of mentality, look, isn't quite natural. It's, It's like God is saying, look, I know naturally that you would feel like, hey, the storm's coming. I need to prepare for that. I need to go down to Home Depot, get some sandbags, you know, make sure I've got my yard cut. I got to take care of everything. I got to get busy, right? And and there's nations raging. There's wars going on. I got to keep my ear to the news. I got to pay attention. Who's going to get elected? Who's going to, right? Look at how we handle that type of busyness in our lives. It's like naturally we handle that by trying to be more informed, trying to be more attentive and figure out more things that we can do. How can we secure more things in our lives and, and go on and on and on it goes. But in reality, what God does is he looks at Israel and he goes, in light of the chaos of this world, I've got a prescription for you. I've got something that I really want you to do. He says, I want you to be still, to slow down, to be inactive. That word for still there, it's a great word. It doesn't just mean like freeze, like, hey, God's playing freeze tag with you, tag you're it, freeze. You know, like, it's not just like stop. It's this idea, the word carried with it, it's the idea of, of almost like a surrender. The idea was to go slack, to, uh, to relax, to drop your hands. It's like you're fighting, you're going, you're, you're trying, to, like as Israel, especially with all these nations around him, to protect themselves and go. And he's going, look, I want you to just... Drop your hands, relax, surrender. The modern, Justin's modern day translation is, chill out, man. And he doesn't just say it with a, with, a, with a sense of like, hey, look, I want you to be calm. I want you to pause every once in a while. It's more of an imperative. It's like, hey, look, in the midst of all this noise, you want to know what God's shouting out to you in your life? Stop. Pause. Freeze. Not in the sense of freeze like that, but let your guard down and make some space. In some sense, when you come to that, oh, just the word in and of itself brings a little bit of relief to our lives. But God's looking at us in a sense and he's saying, our lives are so busy and you often kind of tie together the the idea of busyness, and hurrying and doing things fast and doing more with the idea of being successful. But this verse kind of peels back a different layer and says it's not actually what God thinks. You know, Harvard Business Review did, an, did a study one time and they found that with most of us, the way we view busy people is that we think that they are more important and more successful. So if you see someone busy in life and they don't have time for you and they've got too many things going on, you think, that person must be busy. That person must be successful and doing all the right things. But in reality, what this verse kind of peels back and says is, I don't think so. Because the number one most important thing that a human life can endeavor to do is to know God. To understand their creator. To fathom why they're here. To understand him in the midst of his glory and his greatness and all that he is. And this verse gives us this hint at how we can do that. It says, be still. And what? Know that I am God. Stillness is important for our lives because at the core of stillness is a choice we have to make. Stillness is a choice that you make to not do something else. 
And in that choice to be inactive, if you would, to be let down in your guard, you're choosing to exercise something that will allow you to know God, and that's faith. You see, when you make an active choice to say, I'm not going to blank, I'm going to take a break, I'm going to pause and, and, and hit, you know, hit airplane mode on my phone and not take these messages and not get back to everyone and not do this and that and the other, I am choosing to say, you know what, I understand that when I'm inactive, God is still active. That just because I'm pausing doesn't mean God will not keep working. It's why the rest of this verse goes, God goes, I will be exalted in all the earth and among all the nations. He's like, all the things that you think you worry about and you need to stress about and you need to keep doing and you need to hold on to and you need to plan and you need to kind of fill your schedule with and get back to and, and watch and stay in tune with and podcast and take in. He goes, at the end of the day, whether you do that or not, here's the bottom line. I'm still God and I will be exalted. You need to put your life in a proper perspective. By understanding that, you can begin to go, you know what, God? I can actively make this choice to say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take a break. And when you do that, he goes, you're reflecting the type of person that I actually wanted you to be. In reality, God, you know, we think of God as looking down at us going, man, you guys got a lot to do. You need to get your act together. You need to do more. You need to be greater at this. You need to get busier. You need to advance my purpose and my mission in this world. And that's all good stuff and all. But in reality, God has always looked at his people and been like, I want you guys to take a break. I mean, even go, go way back to the Old Testament when God drew Israel out of Egypt. And you remember Moses leading the Israelites out. And he, he brings them to this place where he's now going to give them those commandments and the law. And of the commandness, the, the, the distinctive greatness of that law system, he looks at him and he goes, I'm going to give you 10 special things that are going to make you guys unique. But of those 10 things, he only gives them one really spiritual thing in nature. Do you know what that was? It's the fourth commandment. And by the way, it was the longest commandment. The time he spent dedicating to the most, uh, this thing the most, was you were to take a one-day rest every seven days. We call it the Sabbath. And it was a day that was to be holy to me, the Lord said. A day dedicated and set apart to me. You weren't to cook, you weren't to clean, you were to door dash it in with the manna I give you, and you were to just relax. You're not to work, you're not to go out, you're not to travel, you're not to... No, Jesus kind of clarifies this and he goes, look, God made the Sabbath for man, he didn't make man for the Sabbath. And what he's saying is, God gave that to you as a special gift. You weren't necessarily designed to do that, and you're going to have problems and situations that sometimes arise that require you to to break that. But in reality, at the core of every single one of us, God made that day so that we could learn to pause, to rest, to relax in a way that we wouldn't normally on our own. Did you know that if you total up the amount of time the Israelites at this time of history when they were given the Sabbath day, the amount of time that they would sleep at night, plus this one day of the week, their time spent resting and essentially doing nothing was about 45% of their week. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of wild. 
On average, they say ours spent resting and sleeping is around 25%. They were doing almost double the amount of resting and relaxing because God wanted them to do that that way. On top of that, when you look at it, they've done study after study after study, and they've, um, they've broken down the numbers, and they found that being a productive person in how you work and in all the things you're doing in life really drops off at a certain point of hours. And that certain point is 50 hours. You could work 75 hours, and you're really going to be no more productive than if you worked 50 hours. It's equivalent to about six days of work. It's like God knew, hey, look, you're no good to anyone after that six days, so learn to take a little break. And it's amazing, and it's distinctive that these guys were coming out of Egypt. They were slaves, and all they did every day was labor and work and build these bricks and work for someone else, and they came out with this natural idea or thought that, hey, look, we're now going to do that for ourselves. We can build, we can work, and God goes, no, I want something unique about your lives and something healthy that's going to reflect the fact that you guys trust me and not your own labor, not your own work. So I want you to take a break. I want you to slow down. And in our verse it says, and when you learn to do that, be still, you'll know that I am God. So that word for know there isn't just... It's not the same in our language as it was to these Hebrews in their language. We, we think of knowing things, and, and for me, I think of like pulling out my phone and going, you know, hey, how many miles is it from me here to Oregon? You know, and I get my information, I get my data, and it's really impersonal. We just pull out our phones and we have knowledge at our fingertips. But they lived in a world where knowledge didn't operate that way, where knowing things came kind of in a real personal way. They weren't all people who had Siri and Google right at their fingertips and, 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 and had answers to everything. And so what they knew, they really knew in a personal way. They looked at knowledge, and this word was used in, in early on in Genesis when Adam knew Eve. It was this personal, intimate, experiential knowledge. The term was interchangeable with sex. Because in some sense, it was like, man, I know this close. I know this personally. I know this deeper parts of me. And you bring that over here when he says yadah. He goes, be still and you will know that God is your God. It's not just this head knowledge. It's this personal deep knowledge. And naturally, you'd think, look, if I'm going to be more spiritual in life, if I'm going to get it together, i got to listen to more podcasts. i got to find more of those theologians who tell me difficult things about the Bible and give me arguments that have no end. And I've got to dive into more books. And I've got to listen to more of K-Wave and more sermons. And look, those aren't bad things in and of themselves. Scriptures are important for our lives. But the most important thing happens when you take what you understand and know about God and you say, I'm going to actually put this into practice in my life. And God goes, stillness is one of those important areas where now that knowledge, that understanding, that, that thing that you say you believe, that you say you trust me, you say that I'm God in your life, it actually becomes a reality. And when you walk by that type of faith, when you're willing to say, no, I'm not going to be active, no, I'm going to take a break, I'm going to let it go, he goes, that's when by faith, you now experience and know God. You see how faithful he is to continue on. You see how he continues working in ways that you never thought. You see things ultimately in light of the, 
the most important perspective or priority you could ever have, understanding and knowing God. And for all of us, as we look at this, as we kind of take it apart and now put it back together, the real million-dollar question becomes, if I'm to be still, if I'm to know that he's God, what does that really look like? Is it just doing the Sabbath? Is it, you know, give me, naturally, I, when I asked myself that question, I started writing down 10 more things to do during the week. Like, I've got to be still in this way, and I've got to add this to my calendar, and I've got to do that. And it was like, all of a sudden, I just get frustrated. But it, it wasn't meant to be looked at and say, look, this isn't a, a doing thing more than it was a being thing. Be still. This is the type of person you're supposed to be. Be someone that takes a Sabbath. This is the type of person you're supposed to be, someone who takes a day and says, I will rest. Not in a legalistic sense, but in a sense that says, God, I am a person who wants to express my faith. And that's going to come in, the fa- in, in many different things that I do, but one of the most important things that I can do is find ways all throughout my, way to, all, all throughout my day to say, God, I trust you. He says, that's going to come as you choose to be still. As you wake up in the morning and you pause, as you go throughout your day and you say, if you want a great example of this, look at the life of Jesus. I know we like to think that like Jesus would be awesome to hang out with, but as I went through his life this week, I think nobody would frustrate more, most of us more than Jesus in this world because Jesus was constantly the guy who you'd be like walking with or hanging out with and then all of a sudden he'd just be gone disappear. You'd be like, hey, I'm bringing Jesus to work today. And then all of a sudden you're like, where is Jesus? He didn't show up. He left me hanging. And and in reality, in Jesus's life, he was a lot like that because he was constantly breaking away from crowds, constantly doing things that people would think, hey, that doesn't make sense. You're supposed to be the popular guy. If you look at his life from just a scaled out version, he had 30 years of his life dedicated to really not doing much growing up. We don't have some, he was a carpenter, we don't have any grand chairs that he made or anything in the museum that we could look at and be like, that's what Jesus did, look at it, you know? It was like, there's nothing from that period of life. And then he hits the age of 30 and he has three years to pack in the most important ministry this world has ever seen, the ministry of presenting the Messiah to the world, of getting all of his teachings out there, of preparing his disciples for when he's going to leave, and of getting himself ready to go to that cross. And in those three years, you know how that time started? That three-year period started with this. If you guys remember over in Matthew chapter 3, God bringing him out to John, John the Baptist out there in the wilderness, and John baptizing him, and the Spirit coming down in the form of a dove. And right in the heavens opening, and God the Father saying from, from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You remember that scene, right? And it's like, here he goes. He's ready to go into ministry now. He's got the spirit on him. He's re- the Ferrari is gassed up. Let's go drive this thing. Let's get him out there and let's just do some, you know, let's hit the toll road and hit 150. And it's like, you would think that that's the mentality that God would have going, it's time to present my, my son, the Savior, to this world. But what happens next? If you guys remember the flow of Matthew in Matthew chapter 4, we're told that the spirit immediately drives Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights. In a three-year period of time he has to present himself to the world, the first 40 days and nights are spent out in the wilderness. He's not eating. He's not writing big sermons. He's not doing anything that we have, you know, recollected except the very end when Satan showed up and tried to, you know, bust up the show and, and, and get him to sin. And 
And in this period, four and a half percent of the time he had to minister to the world to get his thing out there, Jesus chose to be alone. Jesus chose to follow the Spirit's lead, God's lead, to head out into isolation. Over in Luke chapter 2, it says that as he gets into his ministry, everyone from everywhere was coming to look for him. He was the guy. He was the man. He was trending, and everybody wanted to see him, and everyone wanted to catch him, and everyone wanted to, to get healed by him, and they wanted to, to reach out and hear his message. He was different. He was unique. He was presenting something in a way that the common people could understand, and so people were flocking from all around to find Jesus. What does Luke record in Luke chapter 5 and verse 16 about Jesus? It says, I love this. So he himself often, in the middle of everything, withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. It's like, oh, the crowd is looking for you, and he's gone. Over in Mark chapter 1, it says that he spent the entire day ministering, and people came from all around, and then he just goes, hey, let's go to the small towns. It was so busy that he couldn't even go into the cities. Now, normally we would say, hey, look, that's the time to really make the big push. Go into these cities. Become the the person that everyone wants you to be. But Jesus just goes, nah, let's go to the little places. Let's take it easy. Let's go to the small towns and enjoy this. I remember over in, one of the greatest stories is in John chapter 11, where Jesus is with his disciples up in Perea doing his ministry there, and he gets a message from Mary and Martha. They were friends of Jesus, and they had been changed by Jesus, and they send message, hey, our brother Lazarus is sick. You guys remember that story? And they send this message to Jesus, not because he had a cold, but because he was really deathly sick. And they're like, hint, hint, we need your help. Get down here quick, right? You get a message, and you're someone who can be there, bedside for someone else. You feel like immediately you need to go, and you need to be with that person. You need to go, and you need to see them. What does John chapter 11 say in verse 6? It says, So when Jesus heard that he was sick, he stayed home two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. Jesus goes, Nah, I'm in no hurry. Yeah, but he's your buddy. The one whom you love is sick, Jesus. Get out there. Go do something. That's cool. At a certain point, he says, All this is going to work out for the glory of God. And Jesus gets there. After taking off, you know, taking a nap, doing whatever he was doing up there, he gets there, and and we find out that Lazarus has been dead for four days. And they all come to Jesus, and they're crying, and Jesus goes, why are you guys crying? He's just sleeping. It says that Jesus wept, but he wept because people didn't understand time like he did. People didn't understand the reality of who he was. People didn't get who was... The God that they were following and the the one that they were to be trusting. The same thing happened over in Mark chapter 4. You remember in Mark chapter 4 where the disciples have been doing ministry all day and all night and they get into the boat and they're just exhausted and they're going over to the Sea of Galilee, the other side, and in the midst of the sea, a storm comes down and starts washing over the boat and the boat's getting filled with water and you've got Peter and John and Andrew, these seasoned fishermen who are running around, they're going, we're going to die. And they're like, where is Jesus? If you guys remember this story, Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. <laughs> and there he is in the stern of the boat, just, just sawing logs, chilling out, if you would. And they wake him up and they go, Jesus, we're going to die. And he wakes up, probably got bedhead or whatever, and he, he looks at the storm, he looks at the sea, and he goes, peace, be still. Whew. Kind of the same as our verse. Same imperative there, same idea. 
And the storm went calm. But then he looks at his disciples. And this is kind of a, a probing question. He says, why are you so afraid? Well, because our boat is filling with water, because everything's crazy, because we're going to die here. We're fishermen. We've done this before. We know this doesn't end well. Like, we can go on through all the reasons that we're crazy right now. And Jesus goes, why are you so afraid? Because they didn't realize who was in the boat. They didn't realize the God they followed. They didn't stop to be still in the midst of that storm and say, you know what? Hey, look. If Jesus dies right now, this whole thing's over. I I think we can calm down a little bit. Let's just nudge him a little bit. Let's just rock the boat back by him and see if he wakes up on his own and stops this storm. But instead, they're freaking out and they're thinking they're going to die. And it's so often, often what happens to us in our lives. We get so busy. We get so caught up in things. Oh, if I don't raise my kids perfectly. Oh, if I don't get this perfect job. Oh, if I don't have this go on. Oh, and I've got to control and I've got to stress and I've got to worry and I've got to try to hold on to everything in my life because if I can't do it, then it's not going to happen. And God looks at every single one of, uh, one of us and he goes, look, at the end of the day, I will be exalted in everything. Whether you get that done or not, whether everything happens how you want it to happen or not, So your job is to learn to chill out. Your job is to learn to take a break. To learn at some point in your day, your week, your life, to say, God, I surrender. If you try holding on to it all, if you think your activity and control of it all is what's going to make it happen, you are missing the most important thing about life. A relationship with God. And it starts with a faith that says, God, you're God. I'm not, so I can let go. And I can learn to actively take breaks throughout my life. You see, with Jesus, it was a way of being. I think for so many of us, when you look at life and and you look at the things that frustrate us, look at them in a different way. If you get stuck in traffic, don't fight, don't drive like crazy. Don't hit anyone in the parking lot on the way out of here. I know you're hungry. It's third service. It's like, look at it and just go, you know what? Let everyone else get in. I'll go to the longest line. I'll wait. I'll let someone else go first. Because if I can learn to be still in my life, I'm choosing to exercise a faith that says, God's got this. I can learn to take a break. I can learn to say, you know what, God? I've got vacation days. Go on a vacation. It doesn't mean you have to travel across the world. And I mean, we vacation so poorly in our, in our culture. We are vacationers who just pack out vacations with seeing everything, doing everything. It's like we bring our busy lives to our vacations. It's like the last time when I went on vacation with my family, I just wore them out. We went to Hawaii and I was like, oh, you guys haven't been to Hawaii before. I've been there. We've got to go to Pipeline. We've got to go over here to this, this you know, Matsumoto shaved ice shop. And we've, I gave them the day one, we have like 57 things to do. And it's like, that's how we go on vacation sometimes. But in reality, what God is calling us to do is say, look, I don't need you to bring your schedule to your quiet time with me. Learn to be people. And we have to train ourselves in this. It's not natural. Learn to be people who put your phone on airplane mode for the morning. When you wake up in the morning, you say, look, hey, the stillest part of the day is usually the morning for me. To learn to wake up and say, God, before I get into my day, Before I dive into the problems I've got to deal with and the stresses, I'm just going to take some time to be still. 
David said over in Psalm chapter five, I love this. He said, give ear to my word, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto you will I pray, and my voice shall you hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning, unto thee will I look up. David realized this as a shepherd boy. Carried on throughout his life. Look, life gets busy. If I can, if I can wake up early, maybe go to bed a little earlier, I'm going to learn to find some time before the pressures of life start mounting. I'm going to learn to start my day in a way that says, God, I trust you. I can get into all the problems later. You're going to be there. And throughout your day, the way of being still throughout your day is learning to hit pause in the midst of crazy things and say, you know what, God, right now work is crazy. Right now the kids are wild. Right now this, that, or the other. I'm going to take a five-minute break and just be still. I know all the problems will be there for me when I get back. And this five-minute period, this 10-minute period, this one-hour period where I choose to not do anything, where I choose to just unwind and say, God, you know what? I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to hear from you. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the fixer of the world right now. God goes, good. That's the time we have where you can come back to and focus on what truly matters. You know, busyness in the end is ultimately one of the things that kind of keeps us from all the greatest things that really matter in our lives. Hey, why aren't you in good shape? I'm too busy. Hey, you know, if if you look and you ask most people about things they regret in life, it's like, man, I wish I hadn't worked so hard and spent more time with my family. I wish I hadn't focused on the house. I wish I'd focused on the character of the people I was with. I wish I hadn't thought that this was going to be the thing that fixed everything, so I spent all my time on this and that and the other and then realized in the end, oh, man, vanity of vanities. All, like Solomon said, is vanity, emptiness, nothing. Those are the things we spend our time grinding at, trying to, to get at, and God goes, look, no, let me give you one most important thing that will almost put everything else in its perspective. You want to know how to be a better friend? You want to know how to be a better parent? You want to know how to be a better uh, employer, a worker, whatever it is in your life? You want to know the cure-all for all those things that we make great, great priorities in our life? Get to know me. Spend more time with me. Calm down, take a break, and let me be everything in your life. It's not easy, and we resist it. It's difficult. I remember a few years ago, we started going on a vacation with some friends of ours. They invited us. They've got this exclusive group, not exclusive, but a group of people that they go camping with. And every year they go camping up at Bass Lake, and it's a lot of fun. But the first year I went with them, I didn't really know what to expect. We're kind of the outsiders getting invited and coming in. And so we go up to Bass Lake for a week with them, and I'm ready to go. I go, hey, look, we're right here almost at Yosemite. If you know where Bass Lake is, Yosemite's 20-minute drive, well, an hour once you get into the valley. But just up the road, and we've got Yosemite, and we've got fishing, and we've got all this stuff. And so I, I, day one, I go to my buddy. I go, hey, what are we doing today? Well, we got a boat coming. We're going to do sea We're going to go to Yosemite. Like, what? And he looks at me and goes, oh, dude, you don't understand. We do nothing on vacation here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. But like, when are we going to Yosemite? Like, when are we going to fit in? My brain couldn't fathom what doing nothing meant. Doing nothing for him meant literally doing nothing. They sit there every day at the lake and they just stare at the lake, watch their kids, make sure they don't drown. But like, other than that, nothing. 
And at first I was like, this is lame. There's so much we should be doing and experiencing. We're out here in nature. Let's go on hikes and let's do this. And, and as reality, as, as the years went by, I now look at that and this is my favorite vacation. Because I have learned in my flesh to learn to do nothing means literally to learn to do nothing. Turn off my phone, unplug from emails, get no service. And and for all of us, it's so important that we literally find times, I know this sounds odd, but believe me, according to this verse, it's more spiritual than anything else you could do to learn to find times where you do nothing. You know what, I'm coming home from work and I'm stressed and I'm worried and I've got this project. Hey, I'm going to divert and go down to the beach and literally just sit in the parking lot and look at the ocean. Nothing. You know what? Oh, man, it's crazy right now. Things are wild. We're busier than ever. Take a vacation. It seems the opposite of what our natural inclination would be, but in reality, what God is saying is this is everything. This is you making an active choice to say, I trust you, God, more than I trust myself. And when we do that, we find that he is faithful. He is always exalted in the end. Things turn out better. And your focus is now on what truly does matter in life. And so my encouragement to you today as we look at this verse is find some time this week. I don't have any incredible things you can add to your schedule other than this. Maybe you need to look at your schedule this week and look at all the things you have planned. All the important things for your life. Well, is there a period of time that you've maybe put on your schedule that literally says, do nothing, (laughs) be still, sit with God, Maybe you need to add that. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but add it. Five minutes here, one hour there, one whole day. The more you want, God is there. And when we learn to step up in faith and to do that, man, our lives, well, the noise, the bitterness, the angriness, the shortness, the stress, fades away we're now focused on what truly matters. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so very much that you are a God who meets us in the craziness of our lives. You don't meet us with this command and imperative that we do more, that we get busier, that we make things happen here on earth. You meet us with this gentle reminder that we were made to focus on you. And that happens often greatest in our lives when we learn to be still and reflect on who you are. Reflect on how great you are. So help us to not just be people who know about you, but who know you in the deepest parts of who we are. Help us to be people who live like our Savior, Jesus. Who take breaks and trust that in the end, you are all that matters. It's in your name we pray. Amen.